Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our show, uh, we're going to go over my bracket a little, my seed list, my Power 36 with Mark Titus, Club Trillion, Titus and Tate podcast over at Fox Sports. Uh, He'll grade me a little, challenge me. Uh, Also, really looking forward to bringing back my good friend, Chris Beard, the head coach of Texas Tech with a beard. You can see that video on our social media handles. Chris Beard, Texas Tech. They have a great shot to be back where they've been the last couple of years, which is competing for a national championship in the top of the Big 12. Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, Kansas. Uh, obviously, those are going to be the top four in some order. I think Baylor obviously will be at the top of that list in the Big 12. And uh, we'll talk to Chris about the pandemic, how they handle it, team they got coming back. Next week is the start of practice on October 14th. My Cats ranks will be the player of the year candidates. I think we all know who the leading candidate is. I'll give you the other nine. Uh, and so you can break that down. And at the back end of the podcast, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. March Chadness is back as a part of our podcast. Chad loves to uh, challenge me, question some of my rankings, but I love it. We'll engage on that. News this past week. Uh, the biggest news is that the schedules will stand as is. The Men's Basketball Oversight Committee decided to Keep the schedule uh, the way it was from the Division I Council, which is all teams can schedule a max of 27 games with an MTE, which is a multiple team event, or 25 without a traditional three-game one, or 24 uh, if you were to add one for three. So 24 games plus an MTE of three, 25 of a mini MTE with two to get to 27. If you don't have an MTE, then you only play 25 max. So it's 25 max with no MTE, multiple team event, 24 plus three or 25 plus two to get to 27 if you play in a multiple team event. A lot of these schools are pulling out of the various multiple team events um, in Florida, Mohegan Sun in Connecticut um, to do their own thing, which is fine. Don't want to travel. Maybe you don't want to go to a hot zone state. But they're going to make these things happen. The athletic directors and the administrators were definitely for doing this. The coaches probably lean more toward a flat 27, but that wasn't going to happen. And this will be good for the game. You can't really undo what's already happened for the Division I Council. Um, And we'll find out next week from the Division I Council how they will handle eligibility and whether or not men's basketball players will get or winter sport athletes will get the year back which is what they did with the fall sport athletes. So that'll be decided next week at the Division I Council, October 13th and 14th. So a lot to get to here on the podcast. I think very entertaining podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Up next, Mark Titus. Mark Titus from Titus and Tate, the podcast over on Fox Sports. Uh, Mark, known also as Club Trillion, uh, famously wrote a book as being a walk-on uh, at Ohio State under Thad Mata, uh, which, by the way, uh, before we get dive deeper into my contenders and some, you know, some stuff to get us ready for the season, uh, has it been ten years since you were on that roster? Am, am I right on that? 
It's it's been ten years, Andy. Thank you for pointing it out. Uh, the clock is ticking on my relevance. Uh, I don't know how much longer I can squeeze out of like telling people I'm Greg Owen's best friend from childhood to where like people care about that. You know, like that. <laughs> the clock is ticking on to how much people care about that. But yeah, ten years ago I, I started that thing. It's 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 absolutely crazy. I I don't really feel like it's been that long until I look in the mirror and I see all the gray hair I have, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe it has been that long. <laughs> Does that mean it was eleven years ago? Because I actually remember going to Indy, now I'm going to make myself feel old, mm-hmm. uh, and doing a story for ESPN on the high school tandem of Mike Conley Jr. and Greg Oden yeah. before they went to Ohio State. So would that have been 11 years ago? Uh, we graduated high school in 06. Okay. This spring will be 15 years since we graduated high school, which is, yeah. <laughs> God, I, don't, I don't like this. We're not off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I had 10. and My math is completely off. Yeah. Um, no, no, it was 10 years. I started, I started writing because I started writing my stuff like my tail end of my time at Ohio State. So I started the blog in like 09, the end of 09, like December or something of 09. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, one anyway. last thing on that team though, uh-huh. um, because they had a great shot to win it all, as we know. Mm-hmm. When you look back at that final four and the chances that Ohio State had, um, and I remember against Florida, there were times where it couldn't be stopped. What do you remember most about that run uh, and getting stopped by the Gators? So Florida beat the snot out of us. Uh, I think it was two days before Christmas in Gainesville that year. We got absolutely, like, I think Al Horford was not supposed to play. He was coming off of an ankle injury, but then he got cleared like last minute. And we were like, oh no, this is bad. Cause we were, we were very young and Greg had been hurt for the start of the season. So he finally got healthy um, and they just beat the snot out of us. Uh, so like going into the game, I don't feel like most of the media or the, the national, like people didn't exactly expect us to compete or they expect us to compete, but I don't think most people were picking us to win. We legitimately thought we were going to win. We thought it worked in our favor that we got smoked because we thought like Florida was going to think we've already killed these guys already. We were, we were picturing like a Villanova, Oklahoma situation from a few years ago where they met in the final four, you know? Uh, but then for that to happen, we would have had to gotten like a little, I wouldn't say lucky, but breaks had to go our way. And oh my God, we didn't get a single break. I don't think that went our way that game. I remember like the one memory that sticks out in my mind from that game is Greg, someone drives to the basket. I think it was like Corey Brewer and Greg blocks the shot off the backboard. Great defensive play. Uh, and the ball just bounces out to Lee Humphrey, picks it up at his ankles and hits a three. And I just remember sitting on the bench. I'm like, it's just not our night. Like if that stuff's going in for Florida, they're already better than us. And if they're getting all these breaks like that, we have no chance. And then we ended up, it was, it was kind of close. We only lost by nine, but um, yeah, we, we legitimately thought we were going to win going into that game, which is I think crazy to, to say out loud to people that were following college basketball that year. And I will also say that I don't think it's fair to have any revisionist history on that draft because teams always like to go big. Yeah. And People forget that Kevin Durant really struggled in the combine. And at the time, even though, you know, you're always worried about bigs getting hurt, uh, I didn't see any problem with Greg going one and Durant two. Now everyone's like, oh, how could that happen? Well, you have to put yourself in context at that time. What's what, what, the, the revisionist thing that I play is like, what happens if Greg comes out and he's hurt to start his career? Uh, how was how he treated by the medical staff differently? Because uh, no one really talks about this, but I, I'm very aware of it, that Greg Oden kind of ended microfracture surgery. Like, no, I don't think, I don't, when's the last time you heard an NBA player that had microfracture? Right. Greg had, Greg had like three of them or something. And then they realized because of Greg, they were like, oh, this doesn't really work. We should stop doing this. Uh, so I like to, I, I mean, I just think back of like, if Greg was coming out now, like obviously everyone looks back and says, Durant should have been the pick. But if Greg's coming out now, maybe he's, he had better touch. I mean, he was a good free throw shooter. Like he had good touch, like shooting, but no, at the time, big guys, st- it was still like the last era of big guys posting up with their back to the basket. So like at no point did anyone get in Greg's ear and say, maybe you should shoot threes or maybe you should, you know, turn and face a lot more. Um, so I think if he's coming out now, he doesn't put on weight like Portland, Portland made him put on a ton of weight. Cause they wanted him to be Shaq. Basically. I think if he comes out now, they're like, all right, use your touch a little more. Uh, if you have knee problems, maybe we don't just like obliterate your knees and hope that they grow back better, or whatever the medicine said back in 2007. But no, I, I actually just had dinner with Greg a few nights ago. He was in LA and uh, he's the guy's as happy as can be. I get asked that all the time. Like, how is Greg Oden doing? He is, he is 
he is happy in life. He's I'm, I'm happy to report that he's happy. So I don't think he really, if he doesn't worry about it too much, I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. You know? Yeah. I remember going up to Portland actually right after that, when his rookie season was supposed to start and him getting hurt. And I will just say it was great to see him back with the Ohio state program humbled and just helping out. So let's transition to modern day. And in this unprecedented season, one thing I looked for here, in addition to just overall talent, Mark, is I really think this year, more than any other, having veteran players, players that can handle adversity, and teams that don't necessarily need to put much else in, that are already ready to go, like could play tomorrow. Right. That, to me, I think is critical because I got a lot of criticism. How could Duke and Kentucky not be further up because of all this talent they have? Yeah. My issue is, you know, this this could be a season where a team suddenly can't play for two weeks. Right. And so you want a team that can pick it right back up when they're ready to go. And that's why I've got Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova. Mm-hmm. And then in any order you want to put them, I have Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, and then Virginia. And to me, like that top seven has so much veteran leadership experience mm-hmm. that in some order, I could see those teams ending up in those spots. I, I'm with you on the big picture thoughts. I think experience is going to shine through this year more than ever before or, or more than this this latest or the, the one and done era where we always seem to have like young teams that that make a lot of noise. I, th- I think early on, especially, as you said, it's going to be just wild. Uh, games are getting canceled and they're moved and whatever else is going on. I think similarly with that same line of thinking, I'm putting a lot of value in like defensive minded teams because I think uh, it's already hard enough to score in college basketball. I mean, that's the big gripe of like casual fans is that it's hard to watch because there's not enough scoring because whatever. Uh, I think it's going to be especially hard this year uh, where coaches aren't able to to run their offense. I think you get these teams like teams like Baylor that are so good defensively and like bring back most of the guys. Uh, I, I just picture Baylor just locking up everybody to start the season. Just like no one can score on Baylor for the first because they, they play so well together. I think offenses are going to be hard to, to get going and, and mesh. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that's a big difference to me between college basketball and the NBA, where it's like if, if you had a lot of uncertainty with the NBA and we're kind of seeing that in the way the bubble had, had transpired. Um, I think the, the benefit of the doubt goes to the teams that can score because uh, it's a little harder to guard in the NBA just because guys are so talented. And I think it's the opposite in college where, like, if, if you could play great defense, you could just absolutely – I mean, we saw that from Virginia the last tournament we had. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though, in, in terms of the experience. Like, I'm not very high on the the, the traditional Blue Bloods either that that rely on – I mean, Kansas, to me, I guess if – if, we have to talk blue bloods, right? That's what, that's the way it works in college basketball media. That was the next one. I have Kansas at eight, but really can't, I mean, and you can make an argument. I would be fine with that. If someone wanted to put Tennessee above all of them, I have them at 10, but the blue bloods of Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke, I think are going to rely so heavily on newcomers that, you know, I, I just don't know. For me, the one thing I like about Kansas is they are going to be able to guard. I think they have a lot of length and athleticism, and Marcus Garrett's back. He was Naismith Defensive Player of the Year, right? Because Azubuke probably should have won, but they get just like a coin flip as a which Kansas guy. Uh, I think Kansas is going to be really, really good. They're, they're going to have problems scoring the ball. Like I think that's when you that you immediately look at that, and you're like, all right, who's going to score for this team? But um, yeah, across the board, the Blue Bloods, I feel like – uh, the big picture thoughts, if, if we want to start with the broad picture, is uh, I, I do not anticipate the Blue Bloods as we know them to be um, the dominant teams this year. I don't I don't love Duke. Kentucky, I always gauge Kentucky, how good Kentucky's going to be based on just basically online activity from Kentucky fans. It's, it's, it's an imperfect science, Andy, but I believe in it. And uh, I'm not seeing a lot of Kentucky fans talking right now. Like they're talking about everything going on in the NBA, all the Kentucky guys that are playing well in the bubble. And, and I think it's because they know that their team is, they're going to have a good team. It's Kentucky. They're always good. But um, this isn't a team that Kentucky fans are like foaming at the mouth over. Uh, and, I, and, and that tells me all I need to know. Well, the other <laughs> thing too that lost in all this is that we're not going to get this over-the-top choreographed Big Blue Madness mm-hmm. because of COVID. You know, so there's going to be no, like, hype lead-up to this team mm-hmm. that we normally get, which I think will, you know, maybe Cal, that'll work in his favor. But to your point of BBN, Big Blue Nation, uh, I think it'll be hard for them to get all jacked up because they're not going to be able to see this team. Yeah, and they're so they're so concerned with getting Olivier Saar eligible, which, listen, I, I get it. Like, I think he should be eligible. I think it's kind of nonsense he's not, just given the fact that everybody seems to be getting waivers. And, uh, and you know, he actually had a coach fired. It wasn't like he made up some crazy story about why he was transferring or whatever. But 
I mean, Olivier Star is not, he's not like they're treating him like he's Zion Williams. Right. I mean, the guy's not like, and the fact that they're like so focused, we have to get this guy eligible. I'm like, if, if you're counting on your entire season resting on the shoulders of Olivier Star, I'm sorry to say you're going to be probably a little disappointed. Like, he is not going to be the difference between national championship and not national championship. Very good player. My apologies to the Star family if you're listening. I don't mean for it to be like that. I'm just saying uh, he's more Reed Travis to me than he is. Uh, Zion Williamson, you know, the way, the way Kentucky fans are talking is like, or a little Nate Sestina, Sestina. like, like the guy is not going to like, you know, and that seems to be all the chatter coming out of Lexington, which again, I don't think Kentucky is, is going to be bad by any stretch of the imagination. They, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won the sec, but uh, you know, the standard of Kentucky is national titles. And I'm not, I'm not seeing that out of this team. I would actually, let me throw this at you. I would actually say, and this is in my next group of four where I could see, See if you agree with me on this. Any one of these four teams that I'll tell you making a deep run potential to a final four. Mm-hmm. But you could make an argument that the waiver for Mac McClung at Texas Tech mm-hmm. could have more of an impact than Olivia Saar. I would agree with that. Yeah. If McClung is eligible for, for Texas Tech. So Texas Tech is one of four teams uh, of Rutgers, ASU, Texas Tech, and Creighton. One of those four, any of the four, I could see making a deep run to Indy, assuming that's where we end up. I, I just need a second to collect myself. I mean, the <laughs> idea of Rutgers, you just said Rutgers. I know and, I and did. Listen, Rutgers is good. Rutgers is very, very good. But just hearing those words coming out of your mouth that like Rutgers is a sleeper. Even Arizona State, I got to be honest, I, I'm, I'm very biased against Arizona State because one of my best friends out here is a big time Arizona State guy and he does not shut up about it. And every time they win a game, he's texting me. He's like, this is our year. And I've paid close attention to Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. And I know this is the best team he's had. I know that he's got five-star guys. I know that Remy Martin is back. And I'm just prefacing all that to say, like, I understand that this is irrational, but, like, I cannot believe in Arizona State until I see it. I just can't. Like, my friend has got me – he's got me to watch so much Arizona State basketball only to be let down. Uh, They always beat Kansas. They always are, like, great in December. And then the wheels start to fall off in the Pac-12. They were pretty good last year, though. They, they weren't as bad in the Pac-12 last year. But I'm going back to like... Yeah, the it was Lug- kind of reverse last year, where they were not as good early. Yeah, the Lugans Dort season, just like... I was I was so upset that I got sucked into like thinking Arizona State could be something. <laughs> well, just think about that. I have Rutgers, ASU, Texas Tech, and Creighton as sort of new bloods yeah. that could make a run. I mean, that that shows you where we are here in 2020, 2021. I do agree with you. I, I just... like Can I... Can we talk Big Ten? Just like I want to use the Rutgers thing as a jumping off point because I'm trying to to swallow. This is a tough pill for me to swallow. Is seeing like all these Big Ten power rankings coming out. And by the way, I'm not going to let you off the hook that you have Ohio State as a ten seed in your your. And I will explain bracket. that. Like I'm going to explain that in a moment. But we'll get to that in a second because that's not the real thing. The real thing is like you look at the top of everyone's, uh, and I'm not saying you're alone in this because I I share the same thought. Like Illinois, Iowa, Rutgers is up there. Wisconsin's always been pretty good, so that's not quite as shocking, but. It is kind of jarring to see that, like, like if I told you that in March, Illinois, the, the top three in the Big Ten are going to be Illinois, Iowa, and Rutgers in some order. I mean, that would, if you would have told me that, like, at any point in time, the fact that we would be here, that's like, that's crazy to me. That's just crazy. That might be the craziest thing of 2020. Like, going into this season, those three teams are uh, legitimately really good. So, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, this is like a big topic as well. It's like, who is, who is the team that should be favoring the Big Ten? Uh, to me, actually, I'm going to let you talk first. These are these are your rankings, and then I'll jump off of it. Because I, I, th- I think we might be in agreement with this one. But that is that seems to be all my friends, all the Big Ten people I talk to, It's it, you just put them in a hat and draw them out in any order. How do you see it? Well, and for the record, in between those three and Rutgers, I do have Michigan State. So I have Rutgers actually fifth. Yeah. Uh, just for the record. Yeah, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, to yeah, get you in trouble there. A lot no, of- I know. I don't, I don't need a Spartan <laughs> nation to get off there. But um, look. Io and Kofi came back. Mm-hmm. I have to be consistent. I had those two as two of my top 10 returning players, non-freshmen, non-transfers, but just straight up returning mm-hmm. players to their same teams. So you add that, I got to be consistent. Secondly, I really felt had we had a Big Ten tournament, a full one, and an NCAA tournament, that they were playing the best basketball at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think they could have made a run to Atlanta. Um, you know, Trent Frazier, stable guy in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. I think Georgie Bashanis Feely now has figured out how to play with or behind Kofi Coburn because mm-hmm. uh, he really struggled last year with that. Um, 
He's really, Brad Underwood's really high on his newcomers in terms of depth. So I really like Illinois. They also defend and they solved their road woes last season because they actually won on the road and they have a closer in Iowa. I mean, he hits late shots. Iowa, best player in the country potentially in Luca Garza. Wieskamp's back. Bohannon is healthy. But defensively for them is an issue. And if you were to tell me which team I'm going to put my money on to, you know, or that I feel comfortable with would defend better, it would always be Illinois versus Iowa. Right. Wisconsin, they've got the whole team back, but Brevin Fritzel. So it's a whole about, you know, the, the collective aspect of them. What they don't have is a star. Now, maybe they don't need a star, but they don't have a star. And so that's why I slid them in that third spot, you know, 1A, 1B, 1C. And with Michigan State, as deep as they are, especially in the two, three, you know, four facing four positions, the point guard is obviously a glaring omission. Yeah. You know, maybe they'll be fine with Foster Lawyer or Rocket Watts, but we don't know that. And that's why I have them down at the four spot. Rocket Watts is a, a, a just watching him last year. He's a he's a loose cannon at times. So that, that could be uh, interesting to see how that develops. Uh, this isn't any fun because we're in agreement and I don't like being in agreement with people and stuff. It's more fun to argue. Uh, I think the more I've thought about it and I've thought about it a lot, like this to me is like the big, I guess you could do, because I'm, I'm biased. I'm a Big Ten guy. So like this is the big question I have going into the season. Uh, you, you could do the same thing with the top three teams. As you said, like Villanova, Baylor, and Gonzaga. It's sort of the same thing. There were People are just kind of drawing them out of a hat. But this is a more interesting discussion for me because I think I'm a big tech guy. And to me, the more I've thought about it, I think Illinois is like should by far be the favorite because Desumu Ao is the best two-way player back. I think Garza should be the, the preseason national player of the year. He deserves it. Um, he's great. But as you said, they don't they don't really Iowa doesn't really guard anybody. And I mean, Iowa gave up a hundred points in two Big Ten games, Andy. That in Big Ten. In the Big Ten, Iowa gave up over hundred points twice. And Bohannon, like I like, I I really really like Iowa State. I feel like uh, anytime you, you you say that they're not the greatest, you got to like do the disclaimer thing. I, I they're going to be the most fun team to watch. I think like their offense is going to be amazing. But I am worried. Like Bohannon's healthy, but what does that mean? Like he had two hip surgeries. Uh, that's not a great surgery to have to have one of those, and he had two of them. Um, they already don't guard. Uh, and then Wisconsin, you hit the nail on the head. I, I it, It's funny seeing Wisconsin fans upset that people are picking them at third, maybe even worse, going into the season in the Big Ten, given that Wisconsin fans were not excited about Wisconsin basketball up until like March of last right. year. Like, like so they, they looked up and they're like, wait, we have a chance to win the Big Ten? Oh, my God. And then they started getting excited about the team. I mean, technically, like the only reason Wisconsin, people are excited about it is technicalities of they won the league last year technically it was a three-way tie and they were 14 and six so like a six loss three-way tie come on let's calm down here uh and secondly they bring everyone back which is usually good but as you said like when your best player is Nate Reavers like I mean are we really like popping champagne over that I don't I don't know I I think Wisconsin has a very obvious ceiling and we saw what that ceiling was last year when they lost 10 games we're in agreement that's not as fun I was I was ready to all right so I have to I have to answer your Ohio State question yeah, let's fight about this because, I mean, I almost fainted. You had a 10 by Ohio State. I almost fainted. I was like, what is – I mean, it, are you on Chris Holtman's payroll? Like, I get it because Holtman wants everyone to downplay the Buckeyes going into the year. Based on a conversation I had with him <laughs> okay. where he told me that to slow my roll a little uh, because they're not healthy. And oh Seth Towns uh, – look, I can't see it for myself. So he says Seth Towns is not as healthy yet. Uh, remember he hasn't played in two years Yeah, and, um, justice suing is not healthy yet. Now, when they are, it's a different story, Okay, but they're not now. Okay. So I have to project out, you know, talent wise, they should finish higher. Uh, but I, by the way, I think they're going to be in the tournament. I think the team, the league gets 10, uh, you know, maybe could push for 11 again, but you know, I just didn't feel as comfortable with him telling me that they're not healthy right now and sort of unsure of when that will happen. No, I appreciate that. that that's a, that's a Holtman move. And you know, the, the, the Buckeye alum in me should be playing along and being like, yeah, I don't, I don't see it this year. We're not that good, but I just can't, you know, my journalistic integrity won't allow it. I love <laughs> our team. I love the Buckeyes and I don't, I don't love Ohio state every year. Like there's some years going in. I'm like, I, people ask me how, how do I feel about the team? I'm like, yeah, we don't need to talk about it. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, but no, I, I am excited. You're you're right. They they do they Seth Towns has to get healthy and all that. But uh, I think it's going to happen. And I and I've I've seen this script before out of Holtman. Um, 
we're going to be very good to start the season. We're going to struggle in January. I'm going to be pulling my hair out trying to figure out why we're, we keep losing in January. <laughs> and then uh, we'll be we'll be all right in the end. But yeah, a 10 seed, Andy. I mean, that that was brutal to see. It, that was that was tough. You had four Pac-12 teams ahead of us. And I know the Pac-12 is going to be okay, but I mean, just saying that out loud, four Pac-12. You think Ohio State would finish fifth in the Pac-12? Come on. <laughs> no, well, all right. That's a little apples and oranges. I'll tell you the school that I'm higher on, I feel like, than other people that has a passionate fan base is also Indiana. Yeah. Um, I don't think they get their due. I think they will be better than projected. And yes, at this juncture, I had them ahead of Ohio State. I, I'm okay with that. I, I grew up an Indiana fan, so I don't mind that. I think Indiana is going to be pretty good too. It's just like it. it, it we kind of been here before with Indiana too. It's it's a there's not a more tortured fan base, and I don't mean like the the team is bad. I don't mean tortured in that way. I mean tortured in like they convince themselves we could be pretty good this year, and then you finish middle of the pack in the Big Ten, and it's like agonizing. Um, there's not a more tortured fan base than Indiana in my estimation because they talk themselves into it every single year. <laughs> this is the year Indiana's back. Christian Watford makes one shot and they print t-shirts that say we're back. <laughs> so you mentioned, we, we, we discussed Luca Garza. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, that going into the season, it is clearly his to lose. It is rare in the last you know 10 years where we have a player of the year and I think he won a couple of them. He did, obviously Obi Toppin won the majority, mm-hmm. but where that player comes back uh, for the second season. And so, with that being said, you know it's a lot of pressure on him. But I do think it's Garza, and then we could put a bunch of different guys below that. Yeah. But I think he clearly enters the season, and I am including you know there's plenty of freshmen who could challenge it. We'll see if Kate Cunningham can from Oklahoma State, but I, I think he clearly is the favorite. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think Garza is clearly the favorite. I'd say Desumu is up there. Um, I, I think he's the best two-way player. I said that earlier. I think uh, Garza is just so good offensively and so good at what he does that it it makes up for the the lackluster defense. Like I, I don't know. I but Garza is obviously the the favorite. Um, and yeah, I, in my mind, it's like Garza is in a tier on his own. Then like Desumu, Cade Cunningham are kind of like right below him, challengers. I throw maybe Jared Butler in the tail end of that mix. And then I think there's like a massive gap. It's got to be one of those four guys that that's going to, I mean, like well, what's interesting to me, um, just because I was going to say, cause the team success, and then you kind of do the thing where you just pick the best player. This, this happened last year too, Andy, where uh, Gonzaga was so good last year. And a lot of people you included have Gonzaga number one this year. Does Gonzaga have an all American on their roster? Or is it just a, a case where a bunch of B plus A minus players make him so good? You know? Well, like I mean, Corey Kispert could be that, but he may not be a dominant scorer. But he's a really good college player, and we'll see if Jalen Suggs, as a freshman, highly touted, uh, can come in and, and do that for them. Before we go, I need you to have the last word on the Duncan Robinson text. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a little bit more of the backstory about him reaching out uh, and saying, you know what, I have this basketball thing, I don't know if I can do this. And meanwhile, he's in the NBA finals. Yeah, Duncan, uh, going into senior year at Michigan, he had to do a project for, I guess he was in some sports media class and he had to reach out to someone in the industry. Uh, he got my number through just Big Ten basketball circles or whatever and texted me and said, I, I read your work, whatever. Uh, can we get on the phone and talk about sports media? So I got on the phone. We talked for an hour, an hour and a half about like just kind of how I got my start even after college and and what my day-to-day job is and if I had any advice for how he should go about it because uh, at the time he was coming off the bench behind Isaiah Livers for Michigan. Uh, he lost to start. He started as a sophomore, but then by the time he's a senior, he wasn't even starting for Michigan because he couldn't play defense. So he was under the impression he was maybe going to play overseas for a couple years, then hang it up and try to get into a sports media career. That obviously did not happen. And he, he just, kept working at it and ended up getting a spot on the heat. And now here he is in the NBA finals and uh, the rest is kind of history. So I, I, I tweeted out once the heat clinched the spot in the finals, I tweeted out that screenshot of the text. Cause I, I'd reached out to him. I was texting. Him, I was like, congrats, man. That's so cool. And then I was like, I wonder if that text is here. And I just scrolled up and there sure enough, there it was. And it was just so funny to read back. Cause it was three years ago and just like how proper he was. And, and it, it, just the tone he had in the text was so funny to think that that kid was going to go on to, to start in the NBA finals is, is so good. Did he respond to the tweet? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I texted. He, he. Uh, I, I still keep in touch with him. Yeah, I, I still. Uh, we still have some sort of relationship, and uh, so that that's been pretty cool. But yeah, I, you know, if I would have known that he was going to become what he would have become, man, I would have. I would have called him more than I did just that one time. I talked to him on the phone one time and hung up. If I would have known he's going to be in the NBA Finals. I'd be he like, would have yeah, been his agent. Be yeah, I was like, I'll be your agent, man. <laughs>
<laughs> a rare story of Michigan and Ohio State coming together for good, I think. <laughs> That's the lesson in that. Where can everyone find the podcast? Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, we're, get, we're getting geared up for, as, as you were, we had the, uh, with the rug pulled out from under us with no uh, tournament last year. So we're just excited that college basketball is coming back. And we, we, we got to have you on the show, Andy. I will be. And all the social media, obviously, foxsports.com. You can find your social media hits as well there. Yep. Appreciate it, Andy. Thanks. This was fun. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Katz Ranks here. Top 10 Player of the Year candidates. Um, there's a consensus. We haven't seen this in quite some time where there is a clear favorite. and We'll get to that momentarily. So can any of these other nine knock him off? We shall see. Let's start at number 10. Sam Hauser from Virginia sat out the year, which is critical in Virginia's program. You got to learn how to play for Tony Bennett, especially defensively. Offensively, he had time to work on his game all last season, pre-pandemic. Uh, in the summer, worked out with his brother, Joey Hauser, who sat out at Michigan State. So I think Sam Hauser comes into Virginia and will have a monstrous season for the Cavaliers. At number nine, Trace Jackson Davis. Undervalued, underrated, gets overwhelmed uh, in terms of rankings in the Big Ten, not on the court. Uh, Overshadowed, I should say. So he gets overshadowed by other players in the Big Ten, not overwhelmed. Maybe overwhelmed by us because we're not thinking of him. But Trace Jackson Davis, I think, is going to have a a big – jump from freshman to sophomore season like a lot of their bigs um he's not a traditional big because he can play all over the place but i think he's going to put up really good numbers for indiana and lead them to the ncaa tournament at number eight colin gillespie from villanova really plays well on the defensive side of the court great leader adds experience not afraid to take the big shot he's going to be right there for big east player of the year who's his top competition at number seven marcus zagorowski Coming off a knee injury, uh, would not have played in the Big East tournament or in the NCAA tournament because he just wasn't healthy. We didn't know that then uh, when he missed that St. John's game where they only played a half of the Big East tournament in New York. But now he comes back, leading Creighton to a potential Big East title. He's going to really challenge Gillespie for potentially Big East Player of the Year. And his leadership, his shot making will be huge for the Blue Jays. Number six. B.J. Boston from Kentucky. Uh, once again, another freshman from Kentucky. Six foot seven. He's going to be used throughout the course of the court. I think you're going to see him scoring in a variety of ways. Um, big time talent. Look what the Kentucky players are doing in the NBA at the bubble. Not going to anoint him yet for that, but I think we're going to see a star at Kentucky in the name of B.J. Boston. At number five, Remy Martin from Arizona State. Big time scorer will lead the Sun Devils with a chance to potentially win the Pac-12, get to the tournament, maybe make a deep run, experienced leader, big shot maker, and uh, came back and as an extension of Bobby Hurley to deliver big things for the Sun Devils. At number four, Jared Butler. Um, This is gonna be interesting because in the preseason, I think for sure he will enter the season as the Big 12 preseason player of the year, possibly get to who may be ahead of him. But he's gonna lead Baylor to a potential one seed, uh, possibly the top of the Big 12. Defensively, this team's really good. Butler doesn't need to be a big-time scorer, but he will score enough for the Bears offensively uh, and really has meshed well with that coaching staff. So if he doesn't win Big 12 Player of the Year, he may not because of our next player, and that is Cade Cunningham at number three. Oklahoma State's Cade Cunningham, um, like Boston 6-7, I mean, he is going to be a prolific scorer, will be one of the toughest players to stop in the Big 12 and nationally, playing for Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State. This was a big-time get. Easily could have gone to the G League developmental team, uh, decided not to, decided to stay with his commitment and play for Oklahoma State. He's going to put up great numbers, so he's going to be in the conversation to be a potential first-team All-American. At number two, this is where it's hard for Trace Jackson Davis to win Big Ten Player of the Year. Iota Sumer from Illinois came back, Great two-way player, big shot maker, made so many big shots last season for the Illini. Home, road, did matter. Needs to become a better shooter, three-point shooter, I should say, more consistent. But his leadership, his experience, he's got a chance to lead the Illini to their first Final Four since 05. From Chicago, beloved by Illini Nation, and I think he's a first-team All-American, 
potentially Big Ten Player of the Year, potential National Player of the Year. So who's number one? Well, it's Luca Garza from Iowa. So he enters the season as the preseason Big Ten National Player of the Year. Won some Player of the Year honors last season. Obi Toppin, obviously, from Dayton, won the majority. But Luca Garza uh, has improved as much, if not more, than any other player we've seen from freshman to sophomore to junior senior year. We're assuming on the senior year because he's gotten better and better this offseason, even though it was an unprecedented offseason. Better defender, better passer, rebounder, can score in a variety of ways, becoming more of an extrovert. So he's using his voice more. So he's more of a leader. This is Fran McCaffrey's best team that he's ever had at Iowa. Luca Garza will go down as one of the greatest Iowa players ever, will be one of the faces of that program, and they've had a lot of great players come through there. And he's going to have a banner senior season. It's great for the game, it's great for the Big Ten, and it's great for Iowa. Luca Garza, my preseason National Player of the Year. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, my good friend, Texas Tech head coach, Chris Beard, uh, with a beard. Uh, so first off, uh, we're, I don't know what, I'm losing track of months here. Pandemic started in March. Uh, how often have you shaved since the pandemic began? Yeah, so I've never had a beard before. I've had a couple of like, you know, five o'clock shadows, but um, when, the, when the quarantine started after the season was canceled, I rocked it for a little while. And then really the four main women in my life, Randy and my three daughters, were all like really on board with it, which was kind of a mixed signal. You know, like they kept saying things like, you've never looked better. Oh, my God. Which kind of made me think, well, what have I looked like the first 40 something years of my life when I didn't have one? But uh, the decision right now, I'm trying to get other guys on the staff to rock it. I think I've got about half our GAs on board right now is that we're going to try to keep these things till, till, till we lose again. Uh, now, whenever you grow a beard, there's always concern about how much gray hair will come in. I noticed just just a little bit. I mean, how pleased were you that the, the gray did not dominate the beard? Yeah, well, my mom says that's character. So I don't look at it as gray. I look at it as just character, you know. And um, There's a couple in there from junior college. There's a couple in there from the ABA, from Division II. Uh, there's, there's several in there from Brandon Francis, uh, one of my all-time great guys. He put a couple in there, but... I just think that's character and wisdom. All right. You love music. Um, when I when you think of bearded musicians, who do you think of? Well, in my opinion, the best uh, rock and roll singer ever is Bob Seger um, from Michigan. And uh, Mr. Seger's always had a beard. Um, obviously, in, in my home state of Texas with country music, Willie Nelson's had a great beard over the years, as did Merle Haggard and others. Um, in the rap game, um, I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's a good question. I know Biggie sometimes had a little, sometimes didn't. Um, but I, I'm, I'm probably not qualified to answer that question. I think most people would think of ZZ Top, wouldn't they? Just because of the long beard or no? Yeah. My, that, back in my day, I was growing up when ZZ Top was hitting it in the eighties and my mom and dad were big fans. I think, uh, I remember my dad had a cassette tape of ZZ Top greatest hits. And, um, I want to say those guys are from Texas, if I'm not mistaken. All right, so I, I actually don't know the answer to that, but um, in terms of the fireside chat, which came back with a player who I think is not getting enough attention because he could turn out to be the best transfer in the country. Marco Santos Silva at VCU was a dominating force and just they didn't have um, two years ago, you know, didn't have a great run, so people been maybe didn't know enough about him and then didn't get the chance, obviously, um, this past year. So what have you seen so far that makes you think that uh, I might be right? He might be one of the best transfers. Yeah, we love Marcus. It's no surprise. We thought in our evaluation that he was maybe the most uh, productive player that put his name in the portal. So he was our top choice. And we're really fortunate that he is trusting his last year. He's a refreshing guy. Um, what really stood out for us is his love of VCU and it was, a, it was a tough decision for him to leave. I've been on both of those decisions with players that left, players that came. But he had such a respect for his coaches and program there that it was almost refreshing in the uh, recruiting of transfers. You hear a lot of stuff on both sides, but Marcus was always nothing but positive. He simply stated wanted to play his last uh, last year at the BCS level. And so um, we're excited about that. But he's, he's a special player. He's, uh, he can get a lot of stuff done around the basket. But we're really excited. He's been developing this game since being in Lubbock this late spring and early summer. 
Uh, we think he can have a different kind of season in college basketball, so we're excited. All right, so he's one, and then at 1A uh, probably would be Mac McClung from Georgetown. Not healthy all last season, you know, in spots. He's had that foot injury, and I didn't mention him at the beginning because at least as I'm asking you, I, I didn't know his status. We know Marcus is eligible. What is Mac's status at this juncture? Yeah, so we're in the process of waiting. Um, you know, he's a, he's applied the uh, the waiver, so now it's just kind of sit back and, and wait time. Uh, but we feel good. We we think a lot of the things were out of his control to transfer. So I, I hope that the NCAA does the right thing and it gives the kid a chance to play. Um, from my point of view, uh, Georgetown has been nothing but supportive to this point. They've had some conversations, and I know don't want to speak for them, but they were really clear that they did not care if Mac played this year. So that was nice to see. That's the way we always look at the uh, transfers. Some really good players have transferred from here, like every other program. In today's world, everybody wants that playing time immediately. And we've never heard a kid or, or, or stopped a kid from playing. So, um, you know, we, we feel optimistic about it. In terms of Max game, he's a fearless guy. Uh, he's an aggressive guy. Um, he's a guy that makes things happen each possession with just how tough he is. So we welcome that. Uh, we, we need that kind of um, alpha guy that just brings a, a certain level of intensity that only a few players in the country can bring. So he could definitely uh, improve our team and he can improve it quickly. So hypothetically, if you get those two, I mean, we know you're getting Marcus with what you had coming back. I mean, I have you as, you know, one of the top 15 teams in the country, uh, a team that's going to push Baylor and Kansas for the Big 12 title, uh, which now, I mean, we get used to saying, okay, Texas Tech, they're going to be there. They're going to be one of those teams uh, that's going to compete for the Big 12 title. And then if you do that, we know you got a chance to go to the final four because of the strength of the league overall. How do you feel about the direction of this team a week out? from official team practice on October 14th? Well, I think what we're most proud of is just the consistency, you know, to break through year two and make the Elite Eight. We're right there with Villanova in that tough game. I think Villanova was the best team in college basketball that year. Uh, we lose a lot of players. We add somehow, some way, we win the league, and we're playing on the final Monday night. Then last year's team, equally impressive. We all have a story on how the COVID kind of ended our season. But I think one of the stories that, uh, you know, it's been told a lot here in Lubbock, but maybe not nationally, is we were an NCAA tournament team. And so that's three straight NCAA tournaments for the first time in program history. Um, this year, same thing. We're excited to be back in a fight. I think we are worthy of being a preseason ranked team. Now, those rankings don't mean anything until you get on the floor to play. But we're proud that we've built the program to a point where, you know, we're sitting here talking to Andy Katz a couple weeks before the season. That was always the goal. Um, with our team, we like our balance between returning players, certainly Kyler Edwards, Kevin McCullough, and T.J. Shannon playing big minutes last year, as did Avery Benson and others contributed. Uh, we stayed old, which is always our uh, our plan. You've mentioned Marcus and Mack. Jamarius Burton uh, from Wichita State puts us right there, too, one of the best players we think in college basketball with experience, and we like our young guys. So the combination between returners, recruiting both young guys and experienced players, that's kind of our formula. Um, we feel good about where our roster is. By the way, I could definitely see Avery Benson with a longer beard, uh, maybe a cowboy hat, and definitely cowboy boots. Am I, am I right? Is that Would that be off base? Yeah, I mean, Avery's got it all going. He he's basically has a mullet at this point. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for Avery, but I think – He's in a solid situation with his uh, social life. I think he's kind of in a committed girlfriend-boyfriend type relationship. I don't know what she's telling him about the hair. Internally, we think it looks a little rough. Um, you know, he showed up at Team Picture the other day and had more gel in his hair than like an 80s hairband guy. But um, Avery's our guy. You know, a lot of stories in college basketball, a lot of guys that fill up the stat sheet and deserve ink. Uh, but I, I would argue that Avery's what's good about college basketball, a guy that's worked himself into being a scholarship player. And not only that, I mean, he's not one of these fluffy stories where the guy gets the scholarship and, you know, jumps out of a cake or something. I mean, this, this guy earned it. Uh, this guy has earned minutes playing in the Big 12. And we think, you know, he'll have a good year for us this year as well. So COVID-related, you know, Lubbock's had its issues, like really you could argue almost anywhere in the country. How have you guys as a program handled it to this point as you prepare for hopefully being on the floor with your full complement of players on the 14th? Yeah, I, I can't speak for other programs, but for us, we've had a plan from day one. That plan has involved doctors and trainers and people that know a lot more about this than we do, but we've executed our plan. 
Um, we've had some people in our program get positive, uh, but not at the default of not doing the right things. You know, we've been doing the right things. Our guys have, um, and I've always had respect for college basketball players because these guys aren't normal students. Uh, they're student athletes. And our guys have just shown a lot of discipline. When we break for practice on Friday afternoon and give the guys the weekend, and I, I've told them multiple times, I, I feel sorry for them. I wish they had a chance to have the more college experience. Um, so we've tried to help our guys, you know, basically have fun and be safe at the same time, whether that's renting out a whole movie theater or a bowling alley. But certainly these guys, not, not just our team, all these players in college basketball are making great sacrifices to play the sport that we all love. And I have a lot of respect for my guys, I'll tell you that. So one thing I worry about, Chris, is, you know, if a player tests positive at any point during the season, um, it's that isolation. You know, if they have to go into quarantine, how concerned are you? See, you've already obviously had a couple of players that have had to deal with it here in the offseason. But if it happens in season of that separation of being pulled out and being taken away uh, with the assumption maybe that they're not sick, obviously, um, but that aspect, that mental health aspect, I, I do worry about that over the next six months. Yeah, that's real. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, the, the mental health word. It's real. It's like, uh, so we've had guys here that, since the spring, they go into 14-day quarantines and literally can't be around other people. Now, I would tell you Zoom and FaceTime and uh, this kind of thing has made it possible. But uh, several times over the last couple of months, I have been in parking lots waving at my players uh, as they're inside a um, you know windowed apartment. but. Um, it's real. We've, uh, we, we respect mental health. We have for several years now, and, and it's real. Uh, of course, we all follow professional sports and the NBA and what's going on in the NFL, but I would say that right now it's even an extra special emphasis on that to make sure that when our guys are away from what they love, the game of basketball, their teammates, their coaches, it's real. So we've, uh, we've really kept an eye on them, and I hope we've done a good job. I feel like we have. And I know the schedule is still in flux for everybody, as we still figure out the right amount of games, where they're going to be played and how. Um, let me just skip ahead real quick to the conference season. All indications are that the conference season will be played in its traditional format of going to another school. Uh, how comfortable are you that, you know, Texas Tech at Iowa State, Texas Tech at West Virginia, with all obviously, hopefully, you know, sharing, and, and I would assume, all the same testing protocols, but you are still going to different places. Yeah, me personally, I think uh, it'll be done as safe as it possibly can. I know our league, the Big 12, is a special, a special league. You know, we got the 10 head coaches, and uh, from, my, from my seat, everybody gets along really well and respects everyone. So we've been in, I would say, consistent conversation, both as head coaches and also with our ADs and presidents. But I would think that um, there's, a, there's a confidence, especially in the Big 12, because I think we, we all communicate well. We're all about the players. Obviously, we have the Hall of Fame coaches in our league that kind of lead and, and got kind of guys like me that uh, follow. Um, but, but I would think that uh, just because the camaraderie in our league and the professionalism and the respect we have for our players, we'll do everything we can to keep these guys safe. And one last thing, Chris, that, you know, this we've never had this before with the NBA as a lead-in. Um, I'm just curious from your players' perspective and for you, um, just seeing basketball being played safely, and I know it's in the bubble, but just in general, the sport being played safely and at a high level, how much does that energize your guys? Like, hey, you know, we can't wait till it's our turn to get out there and perform at a high level. Man, it's a big, it's been a game changer. I, I think the NBA has been great for our country, for our world, what those guys did. I mean, like when we first heard they were going to play, there was all sorts of speculation. And but now to actually see it executed and really executed well, almost to perfection. Um, I'm a huge NBA fan. I don't think there's any college coach that watches more games than me. And I can only think of a couple of distractions, you know, maybe a couple of uh, decisions by players that got them out of the bubble, but like, it's just been executed to perfection. Um, it's a cer certain kind of positive vibe when those games started. I mean, you know, when we're all in quarantine and there's no sports, I mean, we're literally, it was like, uh, I think some kind of baseball in Asia was the first one that hit. I mean, I, dude, I sat there and watched three or four games. I did. And, I'll never forget when the NBA first started, man. It was an exciting thing. Um, it, it was great. I, so I, you know, I, I've never met the commissioner. I was in the same room with him the last couple of years with Culver and Z and those guys. But, um, you know, I, my opinion of the NBA has only been strengthened. How they pulled this off is not only great for basketball, but I think it's been great for our country. Well, Chris, I appreciate it. Can't wait to see you guys uh, play and hopefully at some point in person. Uh, I think it's going to be another banner year for Texas Tech. I appreciate it. 
Thank you, Annie. See you soon. And now it's time to bring in March Chadness, Chad Acock, uh, to challenge me on my picks. Chad has been a part of our program. He's behind the scenes normally, but we're bringing him back. It's been a long time. Love having Chad back to go over not just our uh, Final Four contenders, our sleepers, but to challenge me. I want more of that. And so here he is, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Chad? That's right. People love talking contenders, sleepers, first four in, last four out. People just love the, the content right now, Andy. Um, yeah, that's right. Last year we did this. We, we did a lot of previews. We do your weekly picks. So now we're back, Andy. We're going to cover it from all angles. Uh, you know, as your conversation with Titus, uh, you know, you talked about contenders, Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Virginia. Like that's kind of your top group. Um, you did mention those some sleepers, and I kind of want to run through that list a little bit and kind of, you know, get the ins and outs of those teams. Uh, one off the top was just, you know, Arizona State, and that was one. I don't think Titus really agreed with you too much, Andy, and, and I want to pick your brain a little bit. Is this is this sleeper pick with Arizona State, is it directly tied to Remy Martin, or do you like the team as a whole? I really like Arizona State as a whole. I love what Bobby Hurley has done. Uh, I love the fact that um, they've got experience back. You mentioned Remy Martin, but also, uh, you know, the addition of Josh Christopher. I, I, I think that makes takes them to another level. Uh, I think experience will matter. They're going to have their backcourt back. They're going to have leadership. And it's a team that I really believe in will be right there to potentially win the Pac-12. Yeah, the thing about, you know, making the Final Four, what you got to win like four games. And Remy Martin is a guy that could get hot, kind of like Carson Edwards did when, you know, they were the Mamadi miracle away from making a Final Four run that year. Um, so if he gets hot, yeah, who knows? I think the tough thing for them is going to be losing Romello White. Uh, might need some front court help, but they do have another freshman that you didn't mention. You mentioned Josh Christopher, the, the McDonald's All-American, but they've got uh, Marcus Bagley as well, Marvin Bagley's little brother. Um, so, you know, if those two freshmen exceed expectations kind of as they're growing throughout all the you know trials they'll face early on, um, maybe they will make it. Um, another team that, <laughs> Andy, I struggle to see it, but it, it's Rutgers. And I'm on board with the Power 36, give them all the hype they deserve. They had a great year last year. Um, but not to show my age, Andy, but they haven't made the NCAA tournament since I was born. <laughs> the last time they made it was 1991, and we're talking about a Final Four appearance. Um, Andy, Andy, what has to go right for Rutgers to make it? All right, that hurts. That hurts a lot. Um, look, I like this Rutgers team a lot, and it's going to be this continuous thread of experience. Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., the addition of a big-time newcomer in Cliff Omarui. Um, and look, Rutgers finally proved that they could win on the road. Uh, and I think that's critical. They did it at the end of the last season. They're hungry. They want to get back to the tournament since 91. They thought they should have been. I think they will be. Uh, and and look, they're going to be playing in a league that's going to get them more ready than any other for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and it's a deep league in the Big Ten, so they'll definitely be tested you know, along the way to get there. But uh, they'll be a fun team to watch. Another one, Andy, that you listed, which might be the one I most agree with you with, is Creighton. And honestly, if they hadn't have lost Tyshawn Alexander, they would probably be in the contender category, and now they're in the sleeper category. But what do you like about Creighton? Well, Marcus Zigorowski is back. Uh, I agree with you. Tyshawn Alexander, had he been there, I think they would have been much higher, uh, maybe somewhere in the top eight, possibly. Uh, Mitchell Ballack gives them um, you know, another big-time shooter with Zigorowski. Big question for them will be, how they handle inside defensively. They're going to be able to score. They will be a scoring team, high-octane offense, going toe-to-toe with Villanova in the Big East. Yeah, I like that. And, and Zegarowski is a guy that's got to be the, you know, the preseason Big East player of the year. He's got to be the guy for them. Um, you know, he had a good freshman year, but last year um, he really kind of broke out in that Las Vegas invitation when he dropped 32-5 and five on that Texas Tech game. And everybody's going, who is this guy? You know, just exploded. So, uh, yeah, as long as he's healthy and improves, he can still handle the load offensively. I like, I, I don't mind that pick at all. Um, but Andy, the one you mentioned with Titus that, that I, I want to ask you about is, is Texas Tech, because this one is for me dependent on the Mac McClung waiver. If, you know, as of this recording, he has not gotten the waiver. They're still kind of waiting. Texas Tech fans keep tweeting. They're, they're anxious about it. Um, is this one solely dependent on McClung getting a waiver to be eligible for this season? Or do you still, or do you think Texas Tech, you know, could get it done without him? Well, they're a tournament team without him. With him, they're a team that could get to the Final Four. You add Mac McClung to a roster that's already deep, 
You add in Marcus Santos Silva that we just talked to Chris Beard about. And I mean, he's one of maybe the most undervalued transfers in the country. This team will defend with McClung. They'll be able to score. They'll be able to make buckets. uh, And they're going to be right there with Baylor and Kansas, um, you know, for a spot to win the big 12. And you do that, you got a chance to go deep. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, Somehow, Chris Beard every year finds a way to fill out that roster with good transfers. Santos Silva, he's got another big man from UNLV that can shoot it. Um, so they'll be fun to watch. And, you know, the key with Matt McClung, because of the offensive uh, side of the game, Chris Beard will have his guys ready defensively. But, you know, losing Ramsey and Moretti, um, yeah, they're going to have to have McClung to help help score the ball. Uh, but if they don't get Mac McClung back, like I'm not even sure they're the best sleeper candidate in the state of Texas. Um, the Texas Longhorns bring back like everybody, like the only fr- uh, freshman on that roster is a five-star big man in Greg Brown. Um, you know, not, you've got guys like Matt Coleman, Jericho Sims, uh, Jace Fabris, like those guys are all seniors. And then you've got Andrew Jones, who is a year older than those guys, but he's only a red shirt junior because of the medical red shirts in 2018, 2019. Um, so this could be Shaka Smart's deepest roster with all these upperclassmen. Um, Andy, any shot these guys could make a, a deep run? So I love that you called me out on Texas because I probably should have had them higher, and maybe I will when we do this again. Uh, but you're right. Greg Brown had a legit shot to go to the G League. Um, was being wooed by Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who runs that G League developmental team. And so there was a great shot that he definitely could have um, left. And you're right. This is Shaka Smart's best team. And I, I, I'll expand it in the Big 12. Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. Those four, I would put up against any top four in any league outside of the Big Ten. And maybe they'll rival the Big Ten when all is said and done. So no question about it. Uh, Texas should be in that grouping. Yeah, this is a top 15, maybe even top 10 team for me. I think you could rank, you know, right now on paper, Texas ahead of teams like Tennessee or even Kentucky, even Duke, you know, teams that you don't have a lot of proven scores coming back when Texas like has just about everybody coming back. Um, but speaking of bringing a lot of guys back, Andy, uh, is Richmond. Uh, you know, maybe the average college basketball fan doesn't really know what to expect. So what can you tell us about the Spiders? So I really like this Richmond team. Um, you know, the Richmond team of Nick Sherrod, Blake Francis, Jacob Gilliard, Grant Golden, those four guys could have left for the pros any place on the globe. Um, would they made the NBA? You know, maybe not. But they could have played professional basketball somewhere. Uh, and that says a lot. This is a veteran team, senior-laden team. Uh, are they as good as Dayton last season? No, they don't have an Obi Toppin, but they could be the 8-10 favorites, should be, and a team that I think could make a deep run. No question about it. We'll see what their schedule plays out, but if they stay healthy, stay together, experience will matter this season. I really like this Richmond team. Yeah, I agree. The experience is a huge factor. And like this is a rare situation where you have a starting lineup of five seniors. So that really plays into the experience factor. Uh, they're well-rounded. They've, you know, Jacob Gilliard that you mentioned, he's kind of flying under the radar, like on his steals record. He's he's 110 steals away from like the all-time NCAA record. Uh, he had 99 last year. And, you know, without knowing how many games they're going to play this year, it's hard to project if he'll break it. But he'll definitely be climbing that ladder. Uh, all season long, and and they'll be tested. Like the A10 is not like a bad league this year. St. Louis is good. Uh, Dayton should still be good with Jalen Crutcher back. So you know they'll have, they'll be just a little battle tested uh, going into the tournament. And Andy, I, I want to give you one last team here. I don't think you've talked about them yet, but it's it's UCLA. Uh, you know, last year the team was incredibly young. Mick Cronin. Uh, you know, they started off. They needed to come back to beat Long Beach State. They finished non-conference play with a loss to a very bad Cal State Fullerton team. Uh, but they turned it around, right? We've talked about how they've, you know, they've won 11 out of 14 down the stretch. They finished second in the Pac-12. Um, but they struggled defensively, which is pretty rare for a Mick Cronin team. Uh, so when you combine, like, a year of Mick putting in, you know, his defensive philosophies into the system, uh, the freshmen and sophomores growing up, and then you get Chris Smith back, um, you, know, you know, is this a Final Four dark horse, like, in your eyes? Yes. UCLA definitely could be a Final Four team. Uh, they were one of the hottest teams in the country the latter part of the season. Had a great shot, uh, you know, at the end there. But UC- USC beat them in their last regular season game on a buzzer beater. Uh, so, look, this UCLA team has adopted McCronin's style. 
Chris Smith, Tiger Campbell back. Uh, they can score. They defend. I think it's UCLA and Arizona State as the two teams to beat in the Pac-12. Never count out Oregon, but <laughs> ASU and UCLA. So, yes, UCLA definitely a sleeper. Yeah, so just to recap, you've got Texas Tech, Rutgers, Arizona State, Creighton, and then on the border we're looking at you know Texas, the Richmonds, the UCLA's of the world as our as our final four sleepers, Andy. And uh, this is fun. We'll keep doing this all in the preseason and uh, keep building our way to November twenty fifth. Appreciate it, Chad. Uh, really look forward to having you as a regular spot on our podcast. Getting back to what we've been doing, uh, you know, consistently uh, every week. So that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness three sixty five. As always, thank you to Chad Acock. Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and our entire NCAA.com team. Regular practice starts a week from Wednesday, October 14th. That's five on five. Hopefully that all goes well during this pandemic. And the season starts November 25th. Hopefully we'll have these schedules at the end of October to dissect and really pull apart. I think everyone's going to try to play at least one or two big time games before their conference slate begins. And most of that will begin sometime in December. As always... Appreciate all the engagement. We'll talk again next week. I'm Andy Katz. Stay safe, everyone. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.